Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, I am Pastor Ben Olschlager, joining you from the cold, dreary, wet confines of Lake Orion, Michigan. With me again, as always, is my co-host and uh, the better of the two man buns at the moment, uh, Pastor Josh Laborious of Bro, I haven't seen Corona. your man bun in a year, so I'm not convinced you uh, you even remember how to tie one. Honestly, it's, it's doable, but I'm it's a little too short to like comfortably keep it there the whole time. So it it just it does what it does. Uh, we're we're walking through the book of Exodus at the moment. This is the second episode of season five. God knows why anybody has been listening this long, uh, but we're glad you're here. Josh, where are we in scripture today? We are, I, Lord, I don't think we checked this before, so I really hope I have the right passage, but we are looking at Exodus 3, um, and this is a story that if you, if you grew up in the church, it's probably familiar to you. This is, this is a, this is a Sunday school story. This is something, uh, I'm pretty sure VeggieTales made an episode about it, uh, which means it's, it's in the Christian mainstream at least, uh, but it's the story of the burning bush. And it says, uh, when Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, which seems like a redundant sentence statement, out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Um, and then for the sake of kind of getting to the meat of the podcast, I'm going to summarize and jump down a little bit. Essentially, God says, I'm aware of what's going on in Egypt, and I'm, I'm sending you, Moses, to rectify this, to, to take my people out of, to lead my people out of Egypt. Um, and this is how Moses responds. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then jumping down a little bit more. Um, let me see exactly what verse. So we're going to chapter four, actually. Moses answered, behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And God gives him signs, and, and there are signs listed here. And then Moses says again in verse 10, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to me, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh, Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And at this point, he says, you're going to meet Aaron, your brother on the way, and you're going to you're going to tag team it. But you are going regardless. And that's a mix of a reading and a paraphrase of the, the text we're looking at today. So where are we going with it, Ben? Well, something that you and I have uh, 
spoken about, complained about, ranted about recently uh, is that churches in, in um, the church contexts that we serve in general um, often run into situations where there are just not enough willing and capable leaders. And people are, are ready with excuses all over the place. You know, um, I don't have the time. I'm not capable. My fate's not in the right place. Um, yada, yada, yada. Moses is just on the ball with like all of those at once. Um, and there's one more that he doesn't even really get into, like, which is, I'm going to die if I go back. You know my history. I killed a guy. What what am I going to do here? Um, and we want to talk today about what it looks like to step into leadership in a, in a Christian world and what it looks like to, um, to overcome some of those challenges to become a leader in the Christian world. And we've brought on who I think might be the smartest guest we've had that doesn't have a PhD. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> I was like, hold on, we've had like we've had some really intelligent guests on. We had Rockenbach on. This might be the smartest one without a PhD. It's him or Mazer. He's definitely the most handsome. So there's that. It's Mazer. Mazer has <laughs> Welcome, Connor Wandrash. Um, you're still not Reverend, right? You're still a student. I am still not Reverend. I am still a student. So if, if my name gets published in a chapel bulletin or on a bulletin at a local congregation, it is. Sometimes I'll see seminarian Connor Wandrash, and sometimes I'll see graduate student Connor Wandrash. So either one works just fine. <laughs> either way, no degree, no call, no pastor yet. He, he was a classmate of ours at the seminary. Um, and now is like almost the chaplain to the tech department of the seminary while he's finishing up some graduate work there. Uh, so some church is going to get the most technologically literate pastor the world has ever known at some point in their future. But we won't we are... tell them that though, Connor. No, yeah, you tell them. <laughs> Thank you. You guys know my thing. You got to keep it hidden for a while. We'll, we'll delete this podcast once you get ordained. <laughs> but uh, we're glad to have you on today to, to discuss some of these challenges. And um, we'd love if you are willing to give the people a little bit of your background. What led you to seminary? And uh, you can maybe tell people why you think we invited you on to talk about this stuff. He's Absolutely. sitting thinking, Absolutely. I have no idea why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, you just you just cornered me and now here we go. Uh, no, thanks for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I have a lot of similarities to the story of Moses in that I wanted to come up with many different um, excuses or reasons as to why I shouldn't go to seminary, why I shouldn't go to particular places. Um, but I also have a lot of similarities before even that calling of Moses um, and his kind of checkered past. Um, so I'm from uh, Rochester, Minnesota. I was born and raised there, same uh, Lutheran congregation that I grew up in. Um, I went to school originally being an engineer, and I got in a whole bunch of trouble. I did a whole bunch of stupid things, um, and I eventually landed myself to where I was doing uh, community service at a place of my choice as part of my sentence, um, and I chose to do it at my local congregation because I thought that would be easy. I could kind of run the show, do whatever I wanted to do. 
and sort of move on quietly. Um, but what I found in doing that community service there at that place is I found a people who not only embraced the sort of Moses story at the beginning, you know, the one who strikes down the uh, Egyptian taskmaster, the one who takes away his place uh, in the midst of his brothers, um, who not only embraced that, but also embraced what maybe I could be into the future. So I had a people who loved on me, who shared Jesus with me, to be just completely frank and, and upfront and honest about it, and who also challenged me into, into thinking about something further. And they kind of they kind of told me that I had a unique place as somebody who had sort of been through a particular fire. And it takes somebody to go through a particular fire like that to be able to speak words of hope and life to somebody else who might be dealing with the same. I call it just rabid stupidity. That's how I think back on about a decade ago when I was really, really dumb. Um, but yeah, I found people who loved me and who shared Jesus with me and and, and gave me a task, uh, kind of a high calling to kind of move forward and do something uh, with sort of that checkered past. And so that was in Rochester, Minnesota. I went to Concordia, Chicago a little bit after that. I wanted to be a DCE. I thought that was going to be how I would do ministry, um, that I'd be able to relate to kids who were in a situation as a similar age that I was going through. Um, and as, as I kind of thought about seminary, it was 10 years down the road, five years down the road, three years down the road. Okay, it's right after graduation. I might as well just switch my major and go right to seminary. So I switched to theology went to the seminary. If I'd have known what year I'm actually going to end up graduating the seminary, you know, with all of this, I probably could have stayed at DCE for a while and done that. Um, but now I'm in, uh, I graduated in uh, January of 22 with my MDiv and I'm in the PhD program for the special emphasis homiletics. So I'm doing something with preaching, something with um, how preaching and the meaning of a sermon is impacted by the ways that it gets preached. And so that's kind of me. That's where I'm at. And so, yeah, I see a lot of similarities in this Moses burning bush text. I think there's one clear dissimilarity already, though. You're much better spoken. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I I think Moses gets to gets to be quite a fine preacher as he does it for. Yeah, for I was about to say, I, as I read this story and I hear Moses say, "Oh, but I'm not a good speaker." My BS meter goes off a little bit. I'm like, you're fine. You just don't want to go, right? Um, it excites me that Connor's doing homiletics. I look forward to reading all the books that he's going to publish about preaching. Um, <laughs> Connor, just one. Just the one recommended and required. <laughs> <sighs> so what's, what's interesting, too, here with Moses being an eloquent speaker is we also have to remember He's also the writer of this story. So not That's only fair. are we getting a peek in at his inability to write, so to speak, but he's also relaying this in words that are really, really skilled. You know, he's using repeating words. He's saying things in particular ways that makes your head go off, Josh, where you say flame of fire. That's a little redundant. And so this non-eloquent speaker is quite an eloquent writer when he comes to give us the story. You say that, but I don't think that's necessarily that unusual. There, there are people who are incredibly gifted writers who are terrified of the public. You know, I think fair. that seems to be more Moses's, Moses's, Moses's deal here is like, you yeah. can't put me in front of an audience. I'm just going to like choke on my own tongue here. Um, hence the reason yep. God gives him Aaron, but also 
an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit to, to say some pretty profound things throughout his life. Um, but it's interesting to me that as we're talking about these things, like there are so many hurdles in place from his checkered background to the, the lack of eloquence here, whatever the, the, the specific hurdle that catches your eye is. Um, Connor, you mentioned a couple of things that I think were pushing you past the hurdles in your life, specifically that people really gave you Jesus in an, like an accessible way, in a way that you felt was for you, um, mm -hmm. but also just walking through some of the, the crap with you. Um, is there anything else that you saw as you were clearing some of those hurdles, as you were working through your checkered past as you were working through some of these like mental obstacles as much as anything else to getting into seminary getting into ministry um that you think would be helpful for people either who are walking through that themselves or who are trying to walk someone else through some of those same hurdles yeah that's uh those are good questions i would say there's two things that come to my mind um and the first is obviously the importance of that community that that doesn't treat that person as an outsider, but actually as a person who is sort of essential to what's happening at a local ministry in a local context. So that person either hurting or hurting in, in kind of the active sense, the person who is hurting or the person who is doing some hurting is they actually become sort of a key focus to how hope and Jesus and this new life that the congregation gets to excitingly live together is sort of manifested. So it's, it's always true that when a new person joins your congregation or a new person is there, the congregation is never the same. It's also the case that when a parishioner who's been there a while now reveals some demons or has something happen in their life, the congregation is also not the same because that person has now fundamentally changed. So you have, you know, a pillar of a congregation is a perfect example who dies. The congregation is no longer the same. That's also true of the young mother there who loses her husband. She is no longer the same. Therefore, the ministry of the congregation in that place, no longer the same. Um, and so the ways that you need to not only pull together, but also just recognize that and be completely honest and frank about it. Um, which is really difficult to to be able to say somebody, hey, you're you're making bad choices or hey, life sucks right now. And I don't understand what that's like, but I'd like to be a voice of hope within that situation. And so that that community aspect is is a huge one. But the second one is to not neglect being a challenging voice. So discipleship is difficult. It's a long road. But also there, people have a particular way of responding to challenge. Hey, you got work to do. Let's, let's get up and do it. Um, if you don't offer that challenge that you can see a future and a hope with them that's different than their previous past or their fiery, difficult past or their painful tragedy, if you don't offer something that says, hey, let's get up and let's get to work, um, they may never see it unless that challenge comes from somebody in the community with them. When I hear you say those things, Connor, I, they're very closely related. And what I wonder if maybe we should be doing as Christians, as the church, is 
reframing, how do I want to say this? Reframing how we view people who are hurting, who are struggling, who need to, who need to be challenged or who are challenging. Because something you said, uh, and I, I'm not going to quote you perfectly, so my apologies for that, but you said something to the effect of, we need to treat these people as if they are an essential part of the congregation. And I think when, when we say stuff like that, a lot of times what comes to mind first is we need you, like we need our pastor because he's, he's essential because he preaches, or we need this person, they're essential because they run slides, or we need this person, they're essential because they're a big giver, or we measure people being essential because of something they contribute to the community. But I would offer that we should flip that on its head and say, you are essential because we can feed into you. Because a church cannot make disciples of perfect disciples. If you're already a perfect disciple, then the church's mission is, is done and the church has nothing to do. So I would offer that the church needs broken people because that's what we're called to serve and we need to serve. So when we reframe that, we look at people and we say, you are essential because I need to serve you. And I think that is an entirely different mindset than, oh, let's give this person a job and make them feel important. It's, it's making them important in their own right, um, which makes those two things in, intricately linked, right? And I think part of it, though, and Connor, you can step in and tell me I'm way off base if you think I'm way off base here. That's kind of par for the course on this podcast. But um, one of the things that is is kind of a weird tweener of the things that Josh is saying, like we love to make people essential by giving them a responsibility. We should be making people essential just by their very nature as creatures in God's kingdom that we are called to care called to care for but is it not also important for us to help them acknowledge that they have a responsibility in this world as well as our brothers and sisters in christ even if it's like you mentioned you're in a season of hurting or you're in a season of loss or you're in a season of uh, this is a new experience for you that might be your job at that time but it is still your job and you are mm-hmm. still a responsible Christian in that in that job, even though it's kind of like a weird one that we don't think of as like a, a primary responsibility of the church. Yeah, I've I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately. Um, as you guys know, my my mom died in uh, January of 2021. Um, so that has fundamentally shaped the way I think about a lot of things, uh, in particular with church and the Bible and other things. Um, But one of them this year has been All Saints Day. I've been thinking about All Saints Day a lot this year. And one of the things is it's a powerful testimony for somebody to witness somebody who's gone through grief and still shows up. Or another way is to see somebody crying in church despite something happy going on. And so the, not only is the person who is going through the grief necessary for that local assembly, that congregation, as a, as a witness to what it looks like for hope, for those who mourn without, who don't mourn without hope, but it's also important for that other person who hasn't gone through that season of grief 
to be there in support of. And so both of them are witnessing and ministering in a, in a give and take that's changes through not only the people, the places, but also the seasons. And so it's just as important for that, that guy who sits three pews behind me, who doesn't sing quite on key, but he sang for all the saints and he sang every verse because I couldn't. And I thank God that he did because my voice wasn't there to do it. And so that essential give and take that happens in a community that not only witnesses hope, but also challenges and gives things that disciples need to do and get up and get to work together. I, I want to echo that a little bit. I lost my grandpa in uh, February and this was the, the first like really close family member that I've lost. So I was breaking up a little bit during the commemoration of the saints on all saints day. And at the end of the service, someone came up and gave me a hug. Cause I mean, I was in tears at that point, like, and then also, um, I don't know if you guys remember Teklu Katema, um, who we also lost this past year. So like, it was it was just hard getting through that. And as a pastor who was breaking down in tears during that service, it was such a beautiful thing to just have, you know, it was a relatively new member who came up and gave me a hug at the end of the service and said, I'm sorry for your loss. They didn't even know who I'd lost, but they were, they knew that there was something there. Um, and like that responsibility as small as it was meant the world in that particular moment. Now, I think a follow-up to kind of this, how critical it is for us to step into this as a community in each of these roles, whether your role is something as simple as you're going up and giving pastor a hug after service which warning Depends. from my congregation you better have a real good reason i am not a touchy person <laughs> i was gonna say this is the don't get ideas i don't need a random <laughs> hug after service that's not anyway whether it's something as simple as that or maybe it is something as has high commitment as you're going to go to school for over a decade and you're going to be a pastor um like connor connor is doing uh, <laughs> wouldn't recommend it to anybody else ben and i went to school but not for not for that long um, so whether you have this commitment i think there are there are obstacles and i'd be interested to hear what you gentlemen think maybe are the most prevalent that we see, because if, if we look at the story of Moses and we go back to this this Exodus that we're this passage from Exodus we're looking at um, to kind of generalize his, I see they won't believe me. I'm not capable, and I'm not good enough. And I think all of his kind of call them excuses fall into one of those categories, and. I, I'd be pretty confident saying most of our excuses fall into one of those categories, but maybe more specifically, and maybe try not to call anyone out too specifically, but what are the, what are the versions of those excuses that we hear today or that we make today, I guess? I, I would add a fourth one here um, that I think I get reasonably regularly. Um, 
my faith isn't there yet. Um, not only they won't believe me, I don't believe me. It, not even there. Yeah. It's just like when we ask people to step into a role of responsibility in a faith context, in a church context, there's a fear there. Whether it's due to, I don't know how, if I'm going to be able to answer the questions that um, people have for me, or if it's, I don't know if I have faith at the moment, like, I don't know where my faith is at at the moment. Um, like, I just don't know how I'm going to deal with this situation because I'm, I'm struggling. And so I think as I look at, at the church and as I look at um, situations within my own congregation and in other congregations that I'm aware of, where like leadership and, and people stepping into whether it's a, a role of, of leadership like a pastor or if it's just the person who's willing to give that person who's having a rough Sunday, um, whatever the case may be, you know, a hand or a pat on the back or whatever they need in that moment. Um, we have so much fear about where our faith is that it, it can be an, an a, like something that inhibits us. Um, and as I look at Moses, it's not entirely clear to me. And I don't know if it's made clear really at all in scripture, how much Moses was really aware of the Lord God before the burning bush. He would, probably would have had some passing familiarity through his people, but he was also raised in an Egyptian court. So like he could have been completely unfamiliar with God. I don't want to take that stab in the dark and say that with, for, for sure. Well, but like His father-in-law was a priest. Yeah. Maybe not a priest of but his, of, God. But of many, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's not a priest of God. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But so, Moses is raised by his mom up until a certain age. Yeah, because she gives him back. The Pharaoh's daughter gives Moses back to his mom to raise up to True. a particular age. I don't know where it actually is. Um, I think it says until he's I, I like your idea. Yeah, until he's weaned, basically. Um, Moses gets called out of almost nowhere to become a leader of the people of God. Abraham, yes. we have no inclination of his background in 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 terms of knowing who God is before he's called by God. To, to found his people. Um, Paul is a persecutor of the church before God calls him out of his, um, to use your, your, uh, your term, Connor, uh, what was it? Um, rabbit uh, stupidity. Yes, out of his rabbit stupidity and into the, the great work that he does for the early church. So like on some level, I really want to encourage people, if you are, are struggling with your faith god can still use you in incredible ways and i i'm not telling you that that shouldn't be a part of your um that shouldn't be a part of your thought process but i think as connor kind of noted to like the things that he struggled with he now has an opportunity to use as as ways for communication and connection with those that he's trying to serve and so 
if you are finding yourself struggling in your faith and walking through some interesting parts of your faith life and journey, those might be things that God is working you through to help others in their faith life as well. So don't like, don't shy away from things because of, you know, struggles or, or doubts or questions, work through those things and use them as ways for God to, to show his grace and power through you and to use them to bring wisdom to others. I got a story to this effect, and it's not a story that I witnessed. It's not, it's something I heard. So I don't know if it's true, right? This might yeah. be one of those myths <laughs> that gets passed around and used by pastors, but I'm going to use it. There's this story I heard of, there's a pastor who gets up in his pulpit one Sunday, and he's looking out at his congregation, and, and he says, I can't be your pastor anymore. And as he explains why he, how has he gotten to this place, he says, I, I don't know that I believe anymore. And the story goes that the, an elder walks up and he walks up through the congregation and he, and he steps up to the altar and puts his hand on the pastor's shoulder and he says, we still want you to be our pastor and we want you to preach us through your doubts which is a bold move, right? You're saying this person who has uh, at least kind of um, a pathos with the congregation or an ethos, he, he has this reputation with the congregation and he's speaking with, people are used to him speaking with authority. He's gonna preach doubt. And the story goes, he did. Week after week, the pastor went up there and, and, he, and he wrestled with his doubts. And through that, the congregation grew and eventually the pastor, he got up one Sunday, he's like, I'm, I have returned to faith because of your support, because of this compassion, I've returned and he, and he had this opportunity to strengthen the faith of the people in front of him. And the reason I think that story is so powerful is because it's kind of this extreme example of exactly what Ben's talking about. Um, maybe from our weakness is the best place for us to be coming from because that gives a God an opportunity to work maybe most visibly because there's no, we can't take credit for it. We have to say, well, it obviously wasn't me. It gives the community an, an opportunity to step in and support us. And I think it is a, a, a more radical witness because we're saying I'm not confident in myself, but, I, but I'm confident in the God that I serve. So maybe those weaknesses are even better opportunities than us doing the things we're best at. Should we let uh, Connor answer the question that you originally asked him? I don't remember that, but I don't remember <laughs> asking a question, but yes. Do you yes, remember what the good. question was? I now do. I do. Uh, what's the, what's the excuse? You? Yep. I, oh, what's the excuses? There. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I've actually, I've been sitting here with my head down in uh, Exodus 3 and 4. And what's striking to me about all the excuses is that God doesn't fix the excuses of Moses. He doesn't take the thorn out of Paul's side. He doesn't, he doesn't fundamentally change that Jonah is mad that God shows mercy to his enemies. Um, what's, a, what's amazing about that is God answers it 
in a way that's not according to expectation or according to the way they want him to. So he doesn't excuse them away. He doesn't validate their weakness. Uh, he doesn't fix the problem that they've put forward. Instead, he says, as Josh pointed out, his power is made perfect in weakness. But even more than that, he he shows them a different way to think about their situations. You may never have this pain go away, but you'll have a new perspective on it. You may you're never going to have this family member back, but you have a new way to think about hope. You may never have your income be at the level that it was in 2007, but you know what? You know what it's like to earn. You know what it's like to give. You know what it's like to sacrifice in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, so in, in a way, he invites them to a new reality, a new life, a new way of thinking about things. And Moses doesn't listen to any of them. Eventually, the Lord's anger gets kindled against him because he doesn't listen to these new ways. And so God begrudgingly gives him a spokesperson in Aaron, which is exactly what happens like, you know, I don't know, 130, 150, 200 pages later when the people ask for a king and the Lord's anger is kindled and he gives it to him anyway. So he's offering all of these new ways and to answer all of these doubts in ways that are according to his purpose and in his plan and the people as in Exodus, as in Samuel, as in Mark, as in today, right now, we continue to not listen despite him having these answers, ways around, and they're not ways around, they're really new new life realities that he gives. Um, we just can't see them. Yeah. I, I don't think I answered the question. That, but you made that, you made that... I got distracted because you made the comment, your your income's never going to be what it was in 2007. I don't know what you gentlemen were doing in 2007, but I was making approximately $0 an hour because I think I was in middle school. I think I occasionally babysat when I was 12, but that was about it. So, um, so you could you could hear that both ways. It'll never be what it was. I was about to say, I hope it may it's never not. be what it was. I hope yeah. my income's never zero dollars again. Uh, that would be yeah. that would be not. But it could be. It could know? be. Oh Lord. <laughs> yeah, have mercy. Yeah. Uh, I want to circle back on something that that Connor said way at the beginning of this, Josh. If that's okay with you. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so Connor, when you were first kind of introducing uh, this idea of like making people essential uh, or not even making people essential, but letting them know that they are essential. And for us as, as the people looking at those, uh, at those people that we're called to serve, um, thinking about them as essential uh, in the way that God is calling us to, you kind of described it using the uh, least favorite six letter word of uh, Lutherans everywhere, uh, change. Um, and how like ministry is constantly changing because your, your situation is constantly changing day to day. Things are changing. Um, there will be people in any congregation who, depending on the day, their life situation might look wildly different, whatever is causing that, whether it's, you know, illness or instability or, uh, legal issues. Darkness, or... famine, sword. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever the case may be. Um, 
that's causing our, our ministry to change. And yet we seem to try and want to tackle things with the same blunt instrument um, in, in so many ways. And so I'm curious, and we see this a little bit with Moses in that like his answer to things is usually go back to God and tell God to fix it. <laughs> like God, my people have no water. Why don't they have water? Fix it. God, my people are grumbling because they don't have food. Fix it. God, my people are, are turning against me because they don't like what you have to say to them. Fix it. Like, <laughs> yeah, the grumbling, the whining. Grumblers. We'll see all yeah. of that later as we get into the, into the later chapters of Exodus. But like, how do we resist that temptation? How do we resist that urge? And what is, there are some tools. What tools do you recommend having in the tool belt as we address some of these things? And yeah, they're not gonna all work in every situation, but what are the good ones to have? Yeah, I can give you a, a tool that works in maybe one situation at one particular place at one particular time, and that's all I've got. And you'll have to find somebody with more expertise to find some other ones. Um, the only thing that I can say to this is we, despite hating change, we know on a fundamental level that when somebody or somebody's are missing from a regular meeting, that it changes the way the meeting works. Mm -hmm. If you've ever taught a confirmation class, which both of you have, and maybe some of the listeners someday will if they're future pastors, or if they're lay people who have attended a Bible study, here's what you know. If you missed the week before and you're doing like an eight-week study on something, you're going to spend the first 20 to 30 minutes of like an hour class talking about what you did the class before because you don't want to neglect the people that were missing because you can't go anywhere until you've gone where you've been with the other people who were missing. So perfect example, I just taught a five-week segment on the Old Testament to the confirmation kids. Lord help me. It was a lot of fun. Okay, so we did, we did this Bible in an hour, which I'm a big fan of. If you guys want to check it out, I highly recommend it. It's super fun, Bible in an hour. But we missed one of we missed like six of my 12 students because it was pumpkin carving day in Sunday school. So they skipped out. So the next week we're going and I was like, all right, we're going to go on to this, this section here. And then I realized, no, we can't. We got, we got a whole hour of stuff to do before we can go there because it's essential that you guys get this because we can't go there until we've been here together before. And so I think on a fundamental level, people get this and they get this. If somebody joins a conversation late, they catch them up on all the details before they can become a member and join in. And so we know this, we know that it's, it's not necessarily change that we're calling for. It's just kind of this accommodation of, Hey, you need to, you need to get with us here before we can continue forward. And so it's not letting anybody get behind as you're kind of chugging along through your ministry. I think this this conversation is is validating something that it seems I'm constantly getting pushed more and more to, and it's this conclusion that 
ministry, whether it's professional ministry or any other kind of ministry at its core, is all about relationships. It's having the relationships with people to have those conversations, to catch them up when they're missing. It's it's bringing people into relationships so that they are they feel welcome and they learn where the congregation, where the group, where the where whatever is at. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that there's any better language to describe how we best go about these things than relationship, which is a little bit of a vague word. It's it's a little bit of a general word, but it just I I keep seeing myself pushed in that direction, um, and this conversation seems to be doing even more of that. So, uh, can I offer maybe a musings of the inner Josh? A th a, the way that I kind of think about the same thing my my like if you could call it a catchphrase if i had a catchphrase is i hate being a pastor to strangers because i can't i can't have the same kind of impact preaching to a room full of people that i don't know than i can if i'm preaching to a context and to a group of people that i know intimately so anybody that joins our congregation, I sit down with them either one-on-one -on -one or uh, with a family at, all at once and get to know them so that I can, I can talk with them, I can minister to them, I can preach to them because I hate being a pastor to strangers. And I think at the same time, like that is part of my mindset because I hate when I feel like God is a stranger to me. And when my faith is like, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, when I'm chugging along to the best of my ability in what God is calling me to do, God feels close, and the people that I'm called to serve feel close when those things are out of whack it's easy for like ministry to feel hard it's easy for life to feel hard it's easy for faith to feel hard and so to me that relational aspect is just like we relate to our god as a father as a mentor as a friend as as a frozen as, face on the screen hmm? as a frozen face on the screen as a frozen face on the screen um i just got a notification that my internet connection is unstable i apologize for that but <laughs> uh like my desire and i think the church's desire should be for that kind of a closeness with our god and have that emulated in our relationships with others. And through those things, I think we'll be able to do some of what Connor's really leaning into here, of like finding the essential value in people, um, finding the essential purpose for yourself or for other people in your, in your congregation, your context, um, stepping out past the excuses, past the roadblocks, past whatever is, is standing in your way of 
of faith, of the things that God is calling you to, um, whatever the case may be. So given all this conversation that we've had, I do think maybe we can start to move toward the conclusion of this fine podcast, but where, where I want to draw us before we get to takeaways, I didn't warn Connor about takeaways, Ben. Oh, good. Sorry about that. This is a time. Oh, sorry about that, Connor. (laughs) Unwarned. As little context as possible. No, where, where I kind of want to draw this is to maybe a bit of application that also circles us back to where we started. And that is, um, Connor, you talk about all these obstacles, calling them obstacles, all, all this stuff in your life that kind of kept you from ministry or they were hurdles on the way to ministry, right? And you had this community that surrounded you, that helped you to overcome those, that challenged you on some of that stuff. And my question is for our audience, well, asked for the sake of our audience, not asking for feedback. This isn't a live show. Um, you can shoot us your feedback. Let's yeah, you Facebook can. We'll, we'll even probably read it. Um, my question for the gentleman on this call with me is this, and that is for the average person sitting in a church, how can they, whether it's an attitude, whether it's an action, whether it's a practice, how can they be someone who speaks into that uh, that being um, helping others to overcome those obstacles and to get to that place of service. And Connor, maybe you can speak to some of the specific things people did that helped you. Um, but I'm interested to hear what both of you have to say on that. Yeah, good. Um, that's a good question. I think for the people who are either struggling to see a place for themselves to fit or a place for themselves to work, or if they even can, uh, I think there's two fundamental things that kind of the average everyday churchgoer, and I find myself as, as that person all the time, even in a pseudo professional role here as a graduate student, I'm, I'm just a lay person 99% of the time. Um, and so these are things that I think about for myself. And, and these are the two things that I think people should have in their minds to kind of move forward with. Uh, number one, it's a fundamental understanding of that you matter, not just to Jesus, not just to the church universal, but like your presence, your tithe, your service, your speaking, your doing, your everything matters. And it matters on a deep fundamental level for your local congregation. So whether or not you show up to Wednesday night Lenten dinner and sit at that table and talk to maybe one person about nothing that neither you or them is going to remember, it matters for you to be there in that situation. And it doesn't have to be Lenten potlucks. It can be any situation. Uh, It can be trunk or treat and just being a happy face in a particular way. You're not necessarily proclaiming the gospel, but you are serving in some sort of presence for people. That's really important for the relationship building. So the first one is to recognize that you matter, that your presence, your attendance, your all things, they matter. And the second one, just to be completely blunt, is you got work to do. Um, and I, I think you got work to do is more than just a challenge. It's more than just putting a checklist on on a piece of paper. It's more than just giving you another task to do or another hobby or something. 
Like you got work to do means you're important. So it's not just that you matter, but like your functioning and activity, uh, even if it's moving a little slider on a soundboard, you know what I mean? How, how silly, but how important that can be. And maybe it's handing out bulletins at the front, opening the door, making sure the lock thing slides over the little thing, making sure the bathroom, the lights are on. You know, all these silly things that actually really, really matter is you matter, your presence matter, and you got work to do. And and that's law. And you guys know me. I love the law. It's God's goodwill for his creation. We got work to do. We got to live into it. We got to live into the groove. It's wonderful. So you matter. Your presence matters. Not only to Jesus, not only to the church universal, but actually to this specific little weird place in Michigan or California or St. Louis or wherever. It it matters, even if there's 60 people or 20 people. And even if you're in a place that's got 2,000 people, there's work to do. You know, there's work to do as a husband, as a father, as a as a worker, husband, wife, or worker. You know, if we're going to do the traditional catechism thing, you got work to do. And that's a good thing. I'm going to back that up with uh, something very different, I think. And that is if you find yourself running into hurdles or fears that are keeping you from ministry kind of embrace those things your fears your doubts are showing you that you think that there is an importance there is a weightiness to what you're being called into um, it wouldn't bother you if it didn't matter exactly like your fear that you are incapable of leading god's people um like that just says that you think this is important but hey god used moses a murderous uh fool for lack of a better phrase here to lead his people out of egypt the most powerful nation of the time and to the steps or to the doorstep of the promised land through all sorts of crazy shenanigans. And he did that through Moses' doubts, through his weaknesses, even more than in spite of them. And so lean into your fears and your doubts and let God use them to use you. That's as close as Ben ever gets to sounding wise. <laughs> Once in a All blue right. moon, man. Good. Once in a blue moon. <laughs> so, man, this is hard because I feel like we just nailed some of this. But, uh, Connor, how we typically end these episodes is we say if there's one thing that some, someone listened to this, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, someone listened through this, and we want them to remember one thing, um, the focus or function, as it were. Uh, what would that now you're talking my language what would that be <laughs> um preaching joke by the way yeah that was good that was good um can i can i summarize it in a in a twofer is of that course. okay you can do whatever you want connor we it our rule is that we have no rules statement from before okay the rule is we have no rules okay we don't talk about fight club my statement is is the twofer and it's and honestly you guys are giving me an opportunity to say this out loud for a lot of things that i've been thinking for a while and it's you matter and you got work to do and and that's that's really 
that's really a fundamental kind of understanding of a of a personal a single person sort of ecclesiology study of the church you matter you got work to do um which kind of dovetails into how i think about what mission of the church is and it's tell the story meet the need those those are two things the church does continues to tell the story continues to meet the need and to do those things guess what you matter and you got work to do that's what i got connor was born to be a senior pastor <laughs> you got the pithy this is yeah. this is gonna brand we're gonna put this out front yeah yeah mission vision yeah oh don't like that i i i have to back i don't have an original takeaway because i love those so much um for so many reasons for how they back i have to go with connor you know <laughs> Okay, so hold on. If you're listening to this podcast, like most of you are, you have to go watch the video on Edgewater Lutheran's YouTube page. Just skip to this part, skip toward the end, because a, a joy, a pleasure awaits you. And I'll just leave it as a surprise for those of you who are listening. Um, but yeah, I, you matter and you've got work to do. I think that's I can't I can't improve or add from that. So Ben, it's up to you to close us out with one last takeaway. Come up with something wise and intelligent to say. Or yeah. something entertaining. I mean, I don't care. Pressure's on. I think I'll circle back to the thing that we kind of talked about earlier. And and that is like not just that you matter, but we need to act like people matter. If we want to find new leaders for the church and call them past the, the obstacles standing in their way or the fears standing in their way, if we want to bring new people into the church and help them to know uh, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, we have to let them know that they matter. If we want to uh, feel like as pastors, we're actually accomplished something, we have to believe that we matter because otherwise what's the point of all of this so it's it's not just like okay you got the head knowledge you matter you got a job to do but believe it for yourself believe it for your brothers and sisters make it a heart thing not just a head thing i like it Connor, you got anything you want to pitch? We we normally let people do that, or should we like in three years we'll randomly pitch oh, this? Connor's an influencer, you didn't you know? He influences people quite profoundly through his social medias. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no shameless plugs here. We don't need people finding that. <laughs> yeah, no. We'll, we'll uh, announce your book when it comes guys. out in three to five years. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you guys don't want to read it. We will. Um, we do want to, we want to thank Connor for coming on, for giving us his time. He is, he is a very busy man. He's, he's got a family and a full-time job and is also studying for his PhD at a rigorous institution. So, uh, he's we, smarter than us. You know, <laughs> That's a lot well, depend. I mean, he's smarter than us, Josh. He's smarter than us, but also he signed up for all these classes. So. <laughs> stupider than you guys for sure um but we want to we want to thank you connor for your time and uh at this point in the podcast it's time for our shameless plugs 
like, share, subscribe on whatever platform you are on right now. We are on all the major podcasting platforms. So um, subscribe gives us uh, some some ego boost, uh, bolsters our, our waning self-esteem, and uh, lets <laughs> us, know, us know that we matter. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is cool. <laughs> and for you, very low effort. It is the press for just one button. Uh, we... If you think anyone that you know would appreciate or would benefit from this podcast, we do encourage you to send it to them. Uh, take that time. Tell them you matter enough that I'm looking out for stuff for you, and this is something that I think would help you. Um, if you have an idea for a topic or you, you have a guest that you want us to try and get on, um, please feel free to reach out. If you know us personally, just send us a text. Don't go through extra work. If you don't know us, though, we do have a Facebook page for the show, Man Buns and Jesus, that you can message. It gets checked from it gets checked regularly, so we will see it. Um, we do have to let you know that because we're in this season where we're we're stepping through Exodus. Uh, if you have a random topic, it could be a minute before we get there, but it will go on a list and we'll get there eventually. Unless we really like it, then we might just do it. Yeah, then we'll yeah. Caution to the wind. And yeah. then our final shameless plug is we do still have that t-shirt that has zero sales and I anticipate it will stay at zero sales, but you can go to edgewaterlutheran.org slash gear and you can buy a t-shirt with our faces on it uh, because I thought it would be hysterical and it's going to be even funnier if someone actually buys it and wears it. So um, with that, this has been Man, Buns, and Jesus, Season 5, Episode 2. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, God.